At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, this is what I want to ask Andrew Stutterford about uh, of the National Review. Andrew, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, it's great to be on. It's great to be on. Absolutely. And you specialize uh, in the economy and you have a, a special interest in the green economy and green new jobs. So I, there's a there's a theory out there that uh, these whales, there's been about nine or ten in the past several few months, just a few months well, uh, I think a in few New York and New almost. Jersey. Yeah, I think it's maybe about eight and eight weeks, something like that. Uh, there is a theory out there that his, this has to do with the new wind turbines that are being built off the coast. And we, they're using explosions to put the, what, what do you call it? The, the, posts. The, the posts of the windmill, you got to dig them deep in the ocean. Yes. Now yep, this is they're, this, they're very tall. And, in, in, and when the explosions happen to create that hole to put the 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 uh, the posts the posts in, yeah. Then uh, that explosion affects the sonar of uh, makes the uh, whale go crazy. So to be clear, this has not been confirmed yet. But Andrew, are you on this? Is this uh, as part uh, of your? Yeah, the, 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 uh, this is well. This is something I have noticed uh, sort of tangentially. And um, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, the, 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 my initial instinct was to think, my goodness, these wind turbines, it's, it's not enough uh, slicing up the birds. They're, now, they're, they're mm. now going for the whales as well. Um, it is possible. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I haven't looked at it in great detail. But one of the things that uh, environmentalists uh, like to avoid discussing, particularly when it climbs to climate policy, is that it's going to involve trade-offs, and, uh, and there's always trade-offs. And why not, if, uh, these, uh, if, if, if these whales are being killed because of the construction or the operation of the, of the winter windmills, um, just say so. Just say, well, we think that uh, these uh, are going to save the planet from a fiery doom, and if the cost of that is a few whales uh, or, or a few... And uh, a million birds? Yeah, uh, just admit it, and just just recognize that there's a trade-off. Yeah, there's no uh, such thing as completely pure energy that doesn't do some kind of harm. But you're right about being honest and let people know. Uh, yeah, tell exactly. us about uh, you. You had uh, some things you want to talk about electric vehicles, and I am pro electric vehicles as long as it's, it's voluntary, not uh, being it, forced it, onto the uh, people. Let the market it, it, dictate. It, it, Exactly. That's exactly what I was, we're at one on this. I have absolutely nothing against uh, electric uh, vehicles. I sometimes get accused, oh, you hate them, you hate them. Not at all. I think it's great. Uh, let, uh, you know, let a thousand technologies bloom and let people choose. And, um, but if you and don't give away and, taxpayer money to influence no, it. No. I mean, I mean when, when, when Henry Ford uh, began uh, you know, with, 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 in, in the auto business, mm. um, people bought his autos without any tax incentives and the, the business evolved nat naturally and it evolved naturally. It followed the, it followed the market 
And that's probably the best way to go. If you want um, a, a Soviet refrigerator uh, model <laughs> of, of, of design, well, by all means, force people to buy them. Andrew, well, that's central. That's central. But planning, yeah, you go to Siberia to use it. You right. no, don't a, need a freezer there. Right. But isn't that an example of central planning? Exactly. And this is, this is that people said, say to me, well, this isn't central planning because private companies are doing it. Uh, I mean, forget the tax stuff, although you shouldn't forget the tax stuff. Um, but I say, well, not really. If private companies, uh, a Ford or a GM, are, if they're reacting to signals from the consumer, well, that's what we all want. It's what, you, what we all want. But if they are reacting to signals from the government, which is we're going to make uh, in California, for example, or the EU, the sale of traditional car, new traditional new cars, uh, illegal from 2035. Well, then they'll adjust their production to reflect uh, to, to reflect that. But that's not a market signal. That's a signal from the government, and that's why that becomes very close to central planning. Andrew, were you surprised by the recent news? Uh, Biden has. It looks like he's indicating that he's going to be approving the controversial Willow project, which is an oil pipeline. Uh, no, I mean, I think that he, much as he denies it, mm. uh, and, uh, he, he, he knows in his heart of hearts um, that some, I mean, I think his, I think his agenda is, 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 is enough. I mean, let's be clear about that. What is the Willow Project, Laura? Maybe we should... So it would pump um, 629 million barrels of oil in its lifetime. Over 30 years. Does this right. focus in Alaska? In Alaska. In Alaska. Correct. And I hope they use the existing pipeline uh, to, to bring that down to the 48 states. Right. Uh, well, this And this in particular is for ConocoPhillips. Well, anybody could use the pipeline. Yeah. It belongs to us, right. the American people. Right. What do you know yeah, about it, Professor? And do you think he'll might he might bow to pressure from environmentalists? Uh, there's always that danger. Uh, the um, I, I think that he understands, sort of, uh, that uh, he he he. he uh, I mean, as I said, I think his his policy is, is about this has been nuts. But I think he fundamentally understands that. Firstly, there have to be trade offs. Although he will deny the extent of the trade offs that have to be met, as we see on various mining projects and so on. And he also knows, or at least his more sensible advisors know, uh, that you cannot phase out fossil fuels overnight, no. even, even, if, even if you want to. I mean, if you talk to the, the, the climate warriors who actually still believe that we should have a modern industrial society, uh, they will all say, no, 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 we're, we're, we're stuck with fossil fuels for decades to come. And I suspect that at some level Biden understands that. I think any sensible person would. And I'm all for green energy. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of renewables. But there has to be a transition, which is and going to take a lot of time. Car. I'm driving around in an electric car. I got sol- solar panels on my house. But I understand that operationally, that so that people can continue to have energy and drive and run their businesses, there, is, there takes time to put all of this into place. And the technology is just not there yet. It absolutely is not there, and this is this is this is this is what worries me. I do think that we are uh, spending billions or more um, in, in uh, stuff in the wrong order. I mean, like you, I have absolutely nothing against renewables. Um, uh, in my in my old financial life, I've been looking at uh, the wind energy companies for decades, mm. and um, but they're not ready for prime time, mm. and we are sort of doing things in the, in, in in the wrong order which is that we are 
spend in. Nothing wrong with putting quite a few of these things up. But some of the money that is going to spending these things up would be better spent on developing battery storage technologies that you can actually scale up. And I think that we may end up with the, the, the worst of, of, of both worlds, which is we spend all these billions on installing um, uh, renewables. And I don't include hydro in that. I mean, hydro is renewable. It works. It's straightforward. Um, but Might the, be one of the best. It is one of the best. Uh, without question, uh, it may be the best actually. Mm. Uh, as that and geothermal, if you call that, a, uh, but you've got to go to Iceland for that. Basically, it seems a long way to go. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 but, but basically, what we're creating now by charging ahead with spending all the money on solar and wind without the proper scalable storage capacity, yeah. we are creating a fragile and unstable grid. And call me old-fashioned. But I don't think that in, uh, in, in 2023, I was about to say 2022, 2023, we should be looking at the state of affairs where the delivery of power is unreliable. And that is what we are heading for very fast, I think. And by the way, the EV, the electric vehicles, will make that worse. Mm. Because they will add yet more uh, demand uh, to the grid, which is not being properly managed at the moment. Are, are you confident that the powers that be, uh, whether it's the, the folks in the industry or in the government, are preparing to have the battery storage necessary? No. Hmm. Well, that's a, uh, that's a fundamental problem. It is. A, and I think it's not their fault. It, it, it's that the, 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 the technology, they're sort of, I mean, uh, look at, looking at the, uh, the British have a, a net zero thing as well. And if you look at the, uh, uh, some of the small print there, you'll say, well, this 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 relies on technology that's not yet been invented. Mm. And I think I think there's a bit of that wishful thinking going going on here. And I think the I don't normally praise the EU, uh, but they uh, who who are pretty uh, climate fundamentalists, nevertheless, they have recognised that natural gas is a bridge fuel, and that if you try to just go all in on renewables without proper backup and without proper scalability, and by backup I mean uh, power generation that works when the the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, uh, then uh, you're you're going to head you're going to head very quickly into uh, fragile grids, and that's not what you want. Mm-hmm. And one one little kicker, uh, which which I uh, noticed someone told me about the other day. Uh, is uh, you know, one of the concerns with those who are worried about EVs, and again, I have nothing against them at all, is that typically um, the EVs, if you have an EV, and maybe you could confirm this, you charge them at night at home. Right. Now, tell me what happens to the sun at night. It goes down. It doesn't shine. Exactly. <laughs> Did I get that right? You got that right. You, <laughs> got that right. you win. $100 for Laura. <laughs> So, 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 you know, I, I don't think where central planning fails, yeah. and this is, this is true for us, you go back to the Soviets, and I'm not saying this is Soviet-like, but it, it shares some Soviet stupidity, so I will say that, hmm. um, is that no single person or group of people can work out all the things that you have to do to make a project work. And that's where the market works. Now, the market isn't some sort of magic. Uh, uh, it doesn't provide the magic answer, but it provides probably the best route to the best answer. 
uh, which is by which is trial and error. Well, whereas what professor and sem- go ahead. Sorry, yeah. And central planners just say we know we have all the answers in advance, and they don't. And it keeps turning up that they don't have the answers. Uh, Professor Stutterberg, John Katzmatidis, thank you. I, and we do look. If people want to buy electric cars, they're welcome to. But the Absolutely. government should not force them to to, to have them. Number one, uh, the government should not force uh, housewives to have uh, electric stoves when they want to cook with gas. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's it, and uh, I think that's the bottom line. Um, well, thank you for coming on, Professor, and uh, we'll talk to you again further soon. Uh, but we have to take a break right now, and uh, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Well, my pleasure. Greatly enjoyed it. Thank, thank you, you Andrew. Much. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And on the line, we have Charlie Gasparino. Charlie, hi. How you doing, guys? Great. So, Charlie, Charlie, I don't want to say I okay. told you so. <laughs> go, John, go. Quarter point. Uh, Charlie, yeah, John is doing a victory lap here, so you got to be ready. We got to take he it. He should take a victory, but you know he's going to he's going to keep raising. And by the way, this is this is a pretty good way to approach it because you know let's just say the economy doesn't slow down, right? Enough, and you know we still we still have five percent inflation in the, in, in the next three months. You know you can adjust upward. And if we don't, if, if this does it, then you can adjust downward. And, you know, you kind of right there. Well, let's see uh, we what, what President Biden know if Inflation is moving in the right direction. The problem is, though, John, and here's the problem with the, the people who think that, you know, this thing is almost one and done and, and going away and we're just going to have lower rates. Uh, but although Powell discounted that, we should point out in his remarks today, is that inflation has a weird way of crop coming back i mean it's it's this is not an exact science i mean if you look at the the history of inflation the last big bout we had that's during the 70s and the 80s you know paul volcker thought he had it with i think in 1980 or 1981 and then it came back and he had to like really crank up interest rates so um you know just be, be prepared for this you know this thing has a, it's it's a weird way of you know, it, it, it's like you know, getting rid of inflation, Charlie, like, you know, stamping, out, stamping out roaches, you know, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> Charlie, but remember what my adage was, uh, let's fix the oil problem. Uh, today, it, it seems like President Biden has said uh, they're going to do the, uh, uh, the, Willow the Willow Project in Alaska, which is going to be 630 million barrels over uh, 30 years. Uh, is that a sign that... The, Maybe he's realizing let's fix the problem instead of breaking something else. Well, yeah, and it's probably a sign that he knows that if Donald Trump doesn't run, he's probably going to lose, and uh, unless he you know does certain things with the economy, uh, because the economy we still have pretty high inflation. I mean, if, if Trump runs, I mean, you know, you know, he's got a, he's got he's got the foil that he wants, and you know, you'll they'll bring up all the stuff that you know we don't have to waste our time talking about. Um, but if he doesn't, then he's got to run on his record, not on Donald Trump's, you know, behavior. Right. And right. The, the record is still pretty lousy. And if you still have inflation, you know, so what he's saying is like, you know, maybe this deals with the oil component of the inflation. By the way, other the other components of inflation are still are still not exactly, you know, down to where they should be. Um, oil is just a part of it, you know, and, and some of these prices are they're sticky on the way down sometimes on, on food and other 
things. I can just tell you, people in restaurants are not, you know, jumping up and down saying, oh, my, my, my supplies are coming in at a lot less. They're saying it's still pretty high, and they mm. have to pass those on to consumers. So I just, I just know that just from going out to dinner in New York City all the time. But Charlie? So, yes. It's Richard Weinberg. I saw a lead editorial in the Wall Street Journal today. I wish you would comment on it, talking about the Biden administration going after the oil companies, saying for excess profits. seems to me they don't understand the laws of supply and demand. When you cut off the supply and you still have the demand or an increasing demand, the price is going to go up and they're going to be making money. What say you? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's been going on forever. And, you know, and then the Democrats always pull this thing that, oh, it's the oil companies gouging people. It's, you know, ruthless, uh, heartless commodities traders. You know, bidding up the price of oil because of, because they're just they're just horrible people. I mean, it's, this is supply and demand, and, and and of course, oil companies are going to make a lot of money if you cut back the supply. If you, I mean, that's that's why a lot of these oil companies, just so you know, they're not totally disengaging from the ESG phenomenon that's hitting the investment world. You know, uh, the big ESG uh, backers out there, the the Black Rocks, the Vanguards. They deal directly with oil companies all the time. Oil companies aren't anti-ESG because it essentially reduces the supply of oil and it helps their profits. I mean, just pretty simple math. And that's one of the biggest tells that when you know that oil companies are dealing directly with the Wall Street firms pushing ESG, you know that, you know, this, this is why they're doing it. They're doing it because it's, it's great for their shareholders. Charlie, on a, on a uh, somewhat different uh, topic, the debt ceiling, without going into the merits of right. that, the fact that Speaker McCarthy and the president had a meeting today, and it seemed to at least be cordial and pleasant. What impact right. will that have on the market? And whether it means anything in the end, I don't know. But what impact do you think it'll have today? I, I don't think – I think it's better than not being pleasant, okay? Um, the reality is that – listen, if we defaulted on the debt, that would be you know, pretty catastrophic. Right. Interest rates would – spike across the world people would lose faith in the dollar i mean that's like not not a good thing uh if we uh if if we um you know if we play this chicken game of you know chicken here um i think the markets are kind of used to it although they don't like it um but usually they know it's going to be resolved i mean you know for us the default on the debt would be insane and well, i agree with you completely they, yeah. they, they usually you can just pay i mean i hate to say it, you could shut down the rest of the government and pay off the debt because that's probably what you have to do and, and so it's ways of doing that so i just don't think we're going that route and i i don't think i think it's a sideshow i mean if there was, it, it, what it what it might be is it might be a political sideshow and both sides looking to like get the upper hand and to show they mean business and mccarthy's looking to stake some ground saying hey we're going to get some concessions out of the white house um you know, it's really a horrible way to, to get those concessions over, is over the debt ceiling. It, it's never worked for Republicans, by the way. They always have to cave because the alternative is, you know. Charlie, I've been there. I know what debt. you're talking about. Going back to the days yeah. of Gingrich and everything yeah. else. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It never, never works. You know what works? When you have both houses of Congress, you have the presidency, that's when you should be doing the cutbacks. And, you know, um, you know, the Republicans did not do that when, when Trump, during Trump's first term. I mean, they, they continue to spend, you know, and so... You know, this has been a bipartisan folly, the spending stuff. And, it's, and at some point, we're going to pay the price. I mean, I don't know when. Now, the last time we really made progress was in the mid-'90s with King Richard and Clinton. You, you know, you're absolutely right. They actually sat down and crafted stuff. You know, Clinton uh, sort of pivoted to the right after the, the Republicans won the House. And you were you're part of that, that class, I, I assumed, uh, Peter. And, uh, 
And, um, you know, and they won the Senate and it became they ushered we ushered in. If you think about it, it wasn't just the tech boom that caused the uh, the 1990s. It was the great economy in the 1990s. It was balanced budgets because we had a degree of fiscal restraint. We had we, we really had adults in the room working on the budget and on, on the on the fisc. Uh, we haven't had that in a long time. You know, people we've been spending a lot in this country. And, you know, Joe Biden is like, you know. You know, it's like a drunken sailor. I guess it's the the cliche, but he's he's a really drunken sailor. <laughs> I mean, it's been pretty fun. Been, I almost slipped. It's been pretty crazy. Yeah, I almost heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped myself. I do that on TV every now and then. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, Charlie, in uh, uh, the $31, $32 trillion that Republicans are panicking about, the, the dollar bill overall relationship to the international currencies is still a dollar bill. Right. Don't forget that. We, we spent $32 trillion, and in, in theory, we were financed by the rest of the world. But can we, I mean, how long can we keep kicking this can down the road? There's a sucker born every day. Yeah, well, that isn't it a that, house of but, cards at at this point? No, yeah, but that, that, but that, John, you yes. know, if you keep if you keep growing it, it takes it, it is it does crowd out other ways, other places to put money. You know, there's only so many dollars in the world. <laughs> money, well, money will flow to wherever the best deal is. That's why Florida is having. I was down in Florida for the weekend. Florida is having a a big renaissance. Well, Charlie, Charlie thank, thank, you, thank so you so much. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We have on the line with us Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, what's going on? Well, great to talk to you guys. How are you doing today? Fantastic. So I understand you are not happy with this new SUNY requirement. Tell me what it is and why you don't like it. No, I'm not happy at all. There's a uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice requirement that is now mandatory for all freshmen. So we're not just talking about those who are planning to major in critical theory. And uh, you can see what I did with the critical theory there, which we know is Marxist in its, uh, in its background there. Not too far of a stretch from critical theory to critical race theory, as we've seen before. But this is for anybody who's going into pre-med, anybody who's going into engineering. Uh, so it's not just those who are getting a Bachelor's of Arts, but those who are also getting Bachelor's of Science. Science. Some of our best doctors who are going to be graduating uh, SUNYs, uh, unfortunately, are going to have to uh, learn this course. And it's going to be mandatory for freshmen coming in starting next year. So our 64 SUNY schools at once, I'd say, one of the gold standards of colleges uh, across the of public universities across the country. Unfortunately, it's falling ill to uh, what we're seeing, which is this uh, very progressive push uh, hey, in Andrew, big education. Andrew, this is Pete King. You know, one thing I think all parties can agree on, 
that the state university system in New York is phenomenal. It's uh, at such a high level to risk screwing it up because of this exotic theory, as you say, more of a Marxist theory, to me is absolute malpractice. It's disgraceful. So thanks for really you know, developing this issue and talking about it. Even if I am tired of talking to you, I, I wake up this morning on the radio <laughs> with you, now tonight I'm on the radio with you. You're everywhere. Andrew, it's Richard Weinberg. I'm not tired of talking to you. Let well, thank me, you, Judge. <laughs> let me ask you this question. Why isn't this being called out for what it is in truth? It's indoctrination. Why doesn't people tell the truth that this is indoctrination of our kids. Well, Andrew is, so, yeah. Well, <laughs> well as, we, as we know, and, and to use an uh, analogy that will be used in a few weeks here with the big game with the Super Bowl coming up, uh, most of the media is the lead blockers, if you will, for, I think, so many of these radical theories. And so because of that, a lot of times this is, just gets swept under the rug, and you use big good words, I should say, like diversity. Who doesn't believe in diversity or the idea of inclusion? But when you put diversity, equity, not equality, by the way, which is certainly something that I can be, get behind, but equity, which is equal outcomes, not equal opportunity, uh, then you have to look beyond what actually the title You're is. You're right. You, you know, you, people don't think about that. Equal outcomes. In other words, uh, everybody wants to give everybody a fair chance. But when you're guaranteeing equal outcomes, that's why it's Marxist. That's that's wrong. That's exactly right. And it's and it's one of these things where I think we've seen more and more parents get involved in their kids education. We're actually obviously talking about higher education now. But we've seen this seep not just from the college level, uh, but really into grade schools. And, uh, and I think it's why more and more parents have gotten involved in their kids' education. If there's something good that's come out of this pandemic over the last three years, it's the fact that more parents got really a very close view of their children's curriculum. And I think it's one of those reasons why you're seeing more and more kids that are looking at charter schools, at private schools, parochials, yeshiva schools as potential options uh, because they don't want their kids. So many parents don't want their kids uh, learning this radical theory. Well, you know, I I went to some of the Catholic schools, uh, the high schools in in uh, Staten Island uh, last week, and they have a graduation rate at high schools of ninety eight, ninety nine percent. I hate to see what our public schools are. Uh, well, some of some math is not required anymore, so I'm not sure if ninety eight or ninety nine percent graduation rate is good, but it sounded <laughs> good by your tone, so I'll assume that. That's uh, I'll good. tell you, uh, Andrew, tell us uh, what you hear about Albany. Uh, I think we got a mess on our hands there. Uh, the decision is trying to be made. Who's really going to be governor? Is going to be the state senators going to run run the state, or the governor is going to run the state? Uh, give us your evaluation of what you hear. Sure. Well, we saw the legislature win round one uh, with the LaSalle hearing. I think round two and probably the most important round here is going to be this showdown over the $227 billion budget. Uh, I wasn't too happy with much of the proposal, but I will say there was one thing where I had a little bit of hope, hope in what Kathy Hochul was talking about. It was the idea of charter schools and raising the regional cap on charter schools. So in New York City, we have a cap of 270 charter schools. That's really arbitrary because we've hit that cap aside from the couple of zombie schools. There are only about 11 of those 270 schools that have failed. That's a pretty high success rate. 
when you're talking about 96%. What Hochul did was she lifted the regional caps, which will allow New York City to get another 85 charter schools. You know the legislature, you know the teachers' unions are going to be pushing hard against that. So that showdown over the next two and a half months, I think, really is going to dictate the answer to your question, John, which is, is it the legislature that's running this state or is it Kathy Hochul? We'll find out in the next couple of months. So just to play devil's advocate with this whole back to the DEI thing at SUNY, uh, you know, what is so bad about teaching diversity and inclusion? Because uh, people, you know, it's sort of like the way the Grieving Families Act was named. It's how can you be against such a thing? Uh, it seems that it may just to play devil's advocate. Maybe this is just a good way to round out a person's education, no matter what field they go into. It's indoctrination, but with clever marketing, Laura. Well, and what do you I think say, Andrew? Yeah, I would say it's great marketing, and that's exactly kind of the words that I was going to use there, Judge, in terms of, uh, of course, I believe in a, the idea of diversity. Of course, I believe in the idea of inclusion. You didn't say equity there, though, and I think that's one of the major problems. Yeah, I think that's a this. hashtag problematic word. I think so, too. And I think, you know, it's surprising because I think the Democratic Party has done such a good job of marketing this. I'm surprised they slipped on the equity part. Now, I did see over the coming over the last few weeks that the NFL was pushing the equity idea. You could see it on some of the sweatshirts on the sidelines where they were pushing equity and social justice. So it is getting more and more in the pop culture, in the mainstream. Uh, but this is certainly something that uh, I think it's not too far removed from critical theory and from Marxism directly. If you look at, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's right out of the Communist Manifesto. You only need to add race. If we'll talk about problems with the middle world, middle word in there, you only have to add race and you're right at the Communist Manifesto. Andrew, should the governor speak out on this? I think so, but I think this is probably something that she's going to take a pass on, uh, Congressman. I, I, uh, you probably know it as well as I do that she's going to pick her battles, and, and considering she's wounded on her first battle, uh, I don't think this is a battle that she wants to take up at this point. Uh, it might even be something that she believes in. I'm not even sure, to be perfectly honest. She, sir, I haven't heard her uh, speak out against it uh, before, so I don't really even know where she stands on this. I, I would venture to think uh, that she is supportive, but uh, I'm not 100% certain. Well, Andrew Giuliani, you're working a double shift today. You're on Bernie and Sid all morning. You're on Cats at Night at Night. Bookends again. Uh, bookends. And thank you so much for speaking out. And uh, uh, God bless you. And um, we'll talk to you again real soon. And we'll see you again at McDonald's. It's great to be part of the WABC family. I've seen Peter King way too much. I certainly hope I don't dream about him. <laughs> wow. Thank you. be spicy. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Cats at Night. It's Laura Curran, John Katsimatidis, Judge Richard Weinberg, Congressman Peter King. And on the line, we have our rabbi. And my rabbi. And my rabbi. And mine. And I feel like he's mine, too, Joseph Potasnik. Rabbi, what's going on? I want to tell you, being Peter King's rabbi is a full-time position. <laughs> uh, all day I'm listening to confessions, so you know, this has become you know, overwhelming for me. But uh, the truth yeah, but, is I'm but, honored but to the have rabbis, you in my congregation. The we Jews need, we have a better deal. Yeah, we do it once a year. You do it once a year, yeah. and you get your, your slate wiped clean. Versus uh, Catholics, Greek Orthodox, we got to go whenever we think we have enough uh, yeah, whenever we collect sins. Enough. 
Well, I got to tell you something, John. It's an honor. First of all, I'm with you two days in a row now. We were together last night with Judge Weinberg visiting the chief rabbi of Morocco. That sounds like a party. Oh, it was definitely a party. (laughs) It was definitely almost a minion. Almost a minion. But but look at what look at what it is. Here you have in your studio people of different backgrounds. We meet with the chief rabbi of Morocco, and Morocco is famous for its respect for different faiths. Uh, In its constitution, uh, it says, yes, uh, we are a Muslim country, but we also protect all faiths. And I'd like to believe that when there's peace amongst the religions, we're going to see also peace in the world. So last night for me was a, you know, one of those defining moments where we can see the difference and yet see uh, our unity. You know, with all the strife in the world, especially over religion, it's really good to hear about this. This gives me some optimism for us I tell you, uh, he's a very a religious man. He was a very nice man, and uh, he's looking for peace in the world. Hmm. What yeah. was your impression, John? Rabbi? Both of you are Orthodox. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi. How hopeful are you, though, for peace here in New York among the religions, uh, considering the rise in anti-Semitism? Yeah, Congressman, I have to tell you, uh, the people in the pews are not the ones committing uh, the horrendous acts. Uh, mm-hmm. Thankfully, in New York, uh, we stand with one another when there's attack against any of us. Uh, you know the relationship with the Cardinal, with Reverend Bernard, uh, with a host of religious leaders is so close that we're always there standing in solidarity and saying, you know, we will not tolerate this. We will speak out. Uh, this is not what people turned their backs and didn't see tears. And New York is exemplary. However, uh, that message is not getting across. Uh, to the perpetrators, and many of whom are young people. I said to Chancellor uh, Banks, those kids need to to see the cooperation that exists amongst the peoples of New York, the different peoples. We always say you need to see a sermon, not just hear a sermon. And secondly, we need a moral education. We talk about Holocaust education. You need a moral education so people learn, because they're not getting it in other places. They've got to try to get in the classroom. Are we putting world, world, religion together worldwide? I mean, are, are, are all the religious leaders uh, uh, cooperating with each other? What, what do you see? I see. I mean, you and Cardinal Dolan are very close. Yeah, um, I'm a regular contributor to the Christmas uh, campaign. Uh, so, yes, I mean, I'm speaking at the U.N. on, on Friday. It's Harmony Week. And we do get people of all the different backgrounds and beliefs, the different branches coming together and saying all the right things. I think, you know, if you look back at history, there is a different chapter that we've written, thank God, in contradistinction to those other chapters uh, of religious history. Uh, you know, we, we are standing together, not standing apart and killing one another. Well, I'm going to say a big amen to that, Rabbi, and thank you so much. If I could just say, my wife, Rosemary, just texted me to make sure that Rabbi knows he's her rabbi also. Oh, <laughs> Rosemary. More proud of him than she is of me. We're all claiming you as John, ours. how do I make a living from any of this? But <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys, look, you know what? Here you come on the air. You get a Republican, a Democrat. You get someone who's Jewish, someone who's Greek. You have all the, you know, we go, what does James Joyce say? Here comes everybody. That's what you have. Yeah. And uh, we got to keep promoting that. And kids have to see that. Because they're, they're not uh, hearing it and seeing it in other places. Yeah. I, Rabbi, I thank you for that. all the good things you do for all, all uh, uh, 
Americans, all New Yorkers, and uh, God bless you, and and uh, thank you for what you Shalom. Shalom. Well, it's an so, honor. It's see an you honor in church, to Rabbi. Look, look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so try to be on time. And don't walk out during the collection. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Roger Stone. Roger, welcome to the show. And I understand to be back with you, Roger. Uh, you, you, you got, got some, some good stories from us, and you got some good news last night. I heard. Uh, give us an update. I mean, uh, look, whether what I tell people, whether you agree with Roger or don't agree with them, you have to believe Roger did not get a fair deal. Uh, well, John, uh, you, what happened here, of course, is that um, as you know, I was targeted in the Mueller witch hunt. Uh, I was charged with lying to Congress about Russian collusion that never happened. And we now know that you can't you can't lie about something that never transpired. This was a, a politically motivated witch hunt. Uh, and, they, and the purpose was to pressure me to testify falsely against Donald Trump, who I've known for 43 years. Uh, the president ultimately commuted my sentence and pardoned me because he knew I did not get a fair trial. I had a biased judge. I had a corrupt jury forewoman. I had a stacked jury. I had prosecutors withholding exculpatory evidence for my defense attorneys. But that has made me a target on the left. That has caused a number of lawsuits against me, civil lawsuits, including a lawsuit in which both President Trump and I were sued together by eight Capitol Hill police officers, falsely claiming that I was responsible for endangering their lives on January 6th. Now, John, I wasn't at the Capitol, wasn't on the ellipse, didn't march to the Capitol, have no involvement in any of the illegal activities of January 6th, knowledge or involvement, but they throw your name into a lawsuit. So your name gets dragged through the mud. You have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to defend yourself. And I'm happy to say that last week, a fair-minded federal judge in D.C. dismissed all of the civil charges against me pertaining to January 6th. It was an expensive victory, but victory nonetheless. How much do you think uh, uh, between uh, that that day where where the SWAT team came down to arrest you, have you spent in legal fees defending yourself? Uh, in excess of $4 million, every penny of which I had to raise. In other words, I lost my home. I lost my car. Uh, I lost my savings. Uh, my wife and I lost most of our insurance, not all, but most. Uh, we lost my ability to make a living because for two years I wasn't allowed to speak in public or to travel. Uh, and uh, it, it is a it's a horrific experience uh, to be targeted with a, by a federal government with unlimited resources and unlimited uh, reach. But they still couldn't find any crime because there is no Russian collusion uh, or was no Russian collusion with the Trump campaign to lie uh, about. Hey, Roger, this is, I, Roger, this is Pete King. Right. I was on the Intelligence Committee when you testified, and you're absolutely right. There was absolutely no collusion at all that was shown, despite what Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell are saying every other day. Uh, I remember that day. As you, as you know, Congressman, I testified, did, uh, I testified voluntarily, uh, and if I made misstatements, and I probably did, they were immaterial. They didn't hide any underlying crime, so there's no motive to violate the False Statesman Act. It has to be both willful and material. So any mistake I made was entirely uh, immaterial. And, of course, they didn't have to storm my house at 6 o'clock in the morning. They could merely have 
contacted my lawyer uh, and said, well, your client needs to turn himself in. But then we wouldn't have had the uh, CNN morning extravaganza. Yeah, didn't they have gunboats out in the water and everything? And, uh, yeah, well, uh, Roger, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. What they were interested in doing is making it political theater. That was the whole point of it. It had nothing to do with the merits of what they were looking at. It was all political theater. You could have easily had an arrangement to voluntarily surrender. That's all. Well, and the truth of the matter is I was elected at 606. I was arrested at 606. At 611, uh, someone at CNN texts my lawyer a copy of my indictment, which is sealed until 1030 that morning. (laughs) How could could CNN have a sealed criminal indictment? Well, Uh, success is the best revenge. CNN announced the other day it was the worst year they had since 2007, was it? Well, it's not surprising. I mean, I don't get my news from CNN for the same reason I don't eat out of the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Roger Stone, thank you for coming on and thank you for uh, telling the American people the way it is. And uh, uh, again, uh, on behalf of the American people, I'm sorry what happened to you. Well, I appreciate it, uh, John, very much. Uh, folks, by the way, I'm back on Twitter. Roger J. Stone Jr., Roger J. Stone Jr. Thanks for having me, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.